You know, it's, it's not an easy thing to live, in a God, to live a godly life in the midst of a really dark, godless society. But it can be done. And sometimes we look at our world and we say, it's getting darker and darker and darker. And we're going to look at the book of Daniel this weekend. And Daniel shows us that it's not just a matter of us uh, surviving the darkness but that we can actually thrive. We can actually be a light. We can actually transform our society. We don't have to be beaten down by it. We can uh, overcome it. So what we want to do this weekend is look at the book of Daniel. And if you have your Bibles, either whether it's a digital Bible or your old school Bible, we're going to be reading Daniel chapter 1. And I want to just take a moment and read the text from Daniel 1. We're getting quite a ways through the Bible this uh, year, and we're coming to a place now where Daniel's one of my favorite Old Testament prophets. He basically has so much to say to us. It's such a practical book, but yet it's such a, an incredible book. Let me start reading it, uh, Daniel 1, verse 1. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah... King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and beseeched it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylon and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ahashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these men, these young men, in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The the chief of staff renamed them these Babylonian names. Daniel was named Belshazzar. Hananiah was named Shadrach. Mishael was called uh, Meshach. And Azariah was called Abednego. Notice verse 8. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to him by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now God has given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the intendant who had been appointed the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. 
The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested him for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. Now notice verse 17. It's quite remarkable. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom, and God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of the visions, of visions and dreams. When the training period occurred by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Dana, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Uh, so, he en- uh, so they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter regarding wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. So here's what's going on. Let me give you a little background to the book of Daniel. Daniel is in Babylon. He gives us a picture of what it was like in Babylon. Well, what was Babylon like? Simply this. It's kind of interesting because God used Babylon to punish his people. And, and that's just quite remarkable. He used Babylon. Now, notice what the, the, you're, you're going to read through the, the minor prophets. And the minor prophets, one of them is Habakkuk. And Habakkuk basically questions God. And his whole argument is, how, God, can you use a nation so wicked as Babylon to punish us? And, 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 and it's really his struggle through the, whole, through the whole book of Habakkuk. Notice what he says. This is Habakkuk in uh, 1, verse uh, 12 to 13. O Lord my God, my Holy One, you are eternal. Surely you do not plan to wipe us out, O Lord, our rock. You have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. But then notice what he says here. But you are pure and cannot stand in the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous? And his argument is this. How in the world could you use a nation so evil to punish your people? That's what he wrestles with. Um, And that's really his struggle all through the book. So how bad was it in Babylon? Well, the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, he took the holy things from the temple and he placed them in a, and he displayed them in a pagan temple. Daniel was exiled. He was probably around the age of 16, 17 years old. Uh, he was trained in the language and culture of the Babylonians, he and his friends, for three years. And Daniel determined very early that he wasn't going to defile himself with the food, with the Babylonian diet. Now, what was that all about? Well, I think there's a couple of things going on. Number one, many of the foods that they would be required to eat were a direct violation of the diet that they were given to follow as faithful followers of God. They weren't allowed to eat many of the things that they were given for their diet. Secondly, some of the food that they were required to eat had been offered to idols. And so Daniel, for those reasons and probably more, felt like this was a good stand for him to take. And he did this in a very winsome, very uh, wise way. He approached the king and uh, the, the, the servant there and uh, was able to get that uh, changed. 
Uh, Daniel lived throughout the 70-year captivity. The Babylonian captivity lasted for 70 years. And so you're going to see what life was like. And Daniel goes from a young man to an old man while he's in captivity. Well, how, was, how bad was Babylon? <laughs> you just need to know that Babylon, as you read in the Bible, and this is not true for the Old Testament, you read it in the New Testament, Babylon is the poster boy of evil. I mean, that's the best way to put it. Uh, Babylon is pers- the per- personification of evil in Scripture. You might want to write this verse down. I don't know if I have it in your notes. But Revelation chapter 18. Let me just read you a couple of verses from the book of Revelation. Remember, this is the last book of the Bible, and it's describing trying to get a handle on evil because all, all evil is breaking out at this point. And, and this is what John says in Revelation 18. He says, After all this, I saw another angel come down from heaven with great authority, and the earth grew bright with his splendor. He, he gave a mighty shout, and he, he said, Babylon is fallen. That great city is fallen. She has become a home for demons. She is the hideout for every foul spirit, a hideout for every foul vulture and every foul and dreadful animal. For her sins are piled as high as heaven, and God remembers her evil deeds. Doesn't sound like an all-American city to me, right? This is pretty bad. And, And you have to understand, too, that Babylon was where... We today have drawn our modern-day astrology and the occult began way back there in Babylon. It found its roots in the ancient culture of Babylon. Now get this. The curriculum that Daniel and his friends had to learn was the astrology and the occult of Babylon. Now, that, that's just... In other words, what I'm telling you is it wasn't just a govern, government-sponsored religion. It was the core curriculum in the schools. Stop for a moment and understand that the public schools in Babylon, the students were required to master teachings of the occult and astrology and all of the Babylonian uh, that, that went there. It's a dark, dark place. And it is especially a dark place for a young 16 to 17-year-old young Jewish boy and his friends. Well, what was his challenge? Well, Daniel was a good-looking young man. He was from a royal family, but he was kidnapped and he was exiled into a strange land. He, he, uh, his name, get this, his name was changed by Nebuchadnezzar's chief of staff, Ahashpernaz, and he changed it because Daniel means God is my judge. And, and, and he had his name changed to Belshazzar, which means Baal's prince. <laughs> I mean, seriously, can you imagine that? And not only that, he was, again, forced to study, to study the occult and to follow and serve an evil king. But here's something that will surprise you. In fact, it will shock you. It will stun you. You read it. I read it, and you heard me read it, and and hopefully you were following along. Daniel and his friends graduated from their classes, and no one was equal to them. They were magnum cum, uh, you know, magnum cum and summa cum laude. They were the best of their class. It says they were ten times better than all the other students in their study 
of the occult and astrology and everything else that went with the Babylonian culture. They were experts on it. And, and, and you say, well, that's, that's okay. I get that. Verse 20 tells us how good they were. But you know what? If you read verse 17, it says that God helped them. God helped them. Now, that, that should cause your world to kind of... Re- Wait a minute here. God assisted them in learning this pagan, cultural, religious belief system, and He did. And we'll see why that's so significant in a moment. So what I want to do is, we've seen how bad Babylon is and how dark it was. What I want to look at is, how did Daniel thrive? Because he did. He was, he, Daniel gives me the impression of a guy who just walked around with his head up. He didn't walk around depressed and discouraged and just saying, what a rotten deal I've gotten in life. And I had my whole life before me and here I am and woe is me. He just walks around. He just seems like he walks around with his head up. How is that possible? Well, I think that this just chapter shows us a few things. And I think they apply, certainly apply to our lives this weekend. So let's look at those. The first one is, he believed God was in control even when things went south. That's so important. Daniel knew that even in Babylon, God was in control. He believed that. You know, one of the things that will get you down in life is when you stop believing that God is in control. When you think you're in control. Or you think, I don't have any control. You don't. But God does. And because of this perspective, Daniel was able to be optimistic. Even in a dark place. Even in Babylon, he knew God was in control. You know, you, as you read through the book of Daniel, you see his hand, God's hand, all through the book. You see it all over the place. Crazy things are going on in the life of Daniel and his three friends. You see it all through the books. It's an amazing thing. Now, here's the point you have to understand, and this is what the prophet Habakkuk was struggling with. Sometimes God allows short-term success of the wicked but, he, he, but, but, but we know the end of the story. We know how it all plays out. We know who wins. And knowing the end changes everything. And that's why we hold our head up. We don't deny that we live in a world that's tough, that's wicked, that's getting dark. That's not what we're talking about. We don't downplay it. We say it is a dark world. It isn't going in the right direction. And, and things aren't the way they should be. But on the other hand, we know how it all plays out. We know in the book of Revelation that that Satan and all of his demons are going to be thrown away, that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. We get that. The Scriptures tell us that. So we walk with our head up. And we have far more revelation today than Daniel did. Jesus said something that was very interesting at one point. Recently, it wasn't recently, a a number of years ago, I kind of came back to this verse. Uh, Let me read it to you. It's Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He says this, Jesus says this, he says, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, hell, will not overpower it. Now, I don't want to get into the whole thing, is Peter the first pope? That's an irrelevant discussion for us tonight, probably an irrelevant discussion anyways. But let's just say that uh, what I had always looked at this verse, and I said, here's what it is. I see it as a defensive verse that Satan won't be able to destroy us. Satan won't be able to attack the church. Satan won't get the victory. You know, Satan can't beat us down. Satan, we can hold our head up. We, we have God on our side, so we can't lose. That's the way I looked at it, as a defensive verse. It's not. It's not a defensive verse. 
It's an offensive verse. What he's saying here, what Jesus is saying here is, when you come with the power of the gospel, the gates of hell can't stand up against it. We have a weapon that will destroy the gates of hell. We have a weapon that will set people who are headed to hell free. And, and, the, and the gospel cannot be stopped. It's not a defense of, oh, let's hide behind the fence. It's a take the gospel and blow the fence apart. That's what Jesus is saying. The, the NLT, I think, translates it really well. It says this, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. In other words, this church, this gospel, is going to conquer, and it can't be stopped. It's a steamroller, and it's going to mow it down. Daniel knew this. Daniel knew that God was in control, and he had an optimistic attitude. Because he knew that no matter what happened, no matter what the circumstances were, he and his friends knew that God is in control. There's one, and I don't have a lot of time, there's one time where his three friends, are, they're in the fiery furnace, and they basically said, we're going to follow God, we're not going to bow down to you. And they go, well, you're going to go in the furnace if you don't. And they go, you know, our God's going to deliver us, but even if he doesn't deliver us, we're still not going to bow down to you. They, they just said, you know what? Circumstances aren't too good right now, but that doesn't matter because we know what's going to end up in. It doesn't matter. We're not going to be shaken. We're going to be optimistic. We're going to be positive because we know that God is in control. Here's the second thing. The second thing is he treated others with respect, even his enemies. David, you, or excuse me, Daniel used his relationships to influence other people around him. He's very winsome. Now, let me tell you that story about the, the Daniel. He, he was a high in the command. This is Daniel 6. You can read about Daniel in the lion's den. But I want to get to the story where, the, so you can see the influence. You can read it because we're going through it as you're reading through it uh, this week. But as you go through the story, you'll read about it. And basically what happens is they set a trap for Daniel and they basically said, we're going to catch him when he's worshiping God. And they signed, a, they had the king, they tricked the king into signing a law that anybody who bows down to anyone other than him is going to be thrown in the lion's den. Well, Daniel knew it, says he knew the law had been signed. He was part of the, the people that, you know, were part of making the law. So he knew it, he probably voted against it, but ultimately it, it happened. They did it behind his back. One of those things happened. And Daniel, it says, Daniel knew the law had been signed, and he bowed down. Of course, the enemies were there to see him. They went to the king. Didn't you sign this law? Yeah, we signed it. Okay, well, we know this. Daniel did it. And it's interesting to see the response of the king. The king basically says, Daniel, they got me over a barrel. doesn't really basically say that, but he says this in verse 13. He spent the rest of the day, the king did. This is the king. He spent the rest of the day, this chapter 6, verse 13, for a way to get Daniel out of the predicament. Then the king returned to the palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment, and he couldn't sleep all that night. Now, first the king tries to get him out of it, and then he says, I have to throw you in. So he has a sleepless night. He, the king can't sleep. And it says he refused his usual entertainment, and he couldn't sleep all that night. And very early the next morning, the king got up, and he hurried to the lion's den. He calls out to Daniel. Daniel, are you alive? Yes, I'm alive. 
He kept the king awake. This is the ad- this is the behavior. This, this is a pagan king too. And, and, and notice the influence he had on a pagan king. Not only that, he be- because of his faith, because of, he was a winsome person and he, he was very wise in how he dealt with people. It, he, you know, at the end of this, it's, this is what King Darius said in chapter 6, verse 25. Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout the kingdom should tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. This is a pagan king. He started a revival. <laughs> See, I'm a little troubled about how some Christians behave to those who are far from God. I am troubled that Christians don't treat everyone with love, dignity, and respect, even enemies. Um, Everyone deserves respect, even those who seem to be far from God, even those who seem to be God's enemies. They deserve respect. But we've forgotten this today. I hear so many harsh words against people. And, and sometimes it's over politics. Sometimes it's over ethics. Sometimes it's over whatever it is. And I'm hearing this all the time, how people are doing this. And, you know, I want you to hear me. Maybe this is the only thing you'll hear. People, everybody that you come in contact with, they're not the enemy. No matter what political view they hold, no matter what religious view they hold, they're not the enemy. The one who holds their heart, the one who holds them as a slave is the enemy, not them. Because if you could imagine what they would be like if they loved Jesus, then you're looking at them from the right perspective. You see, they aren't the enemy. They're blinded by the enemy. And some people have been taught by preachers, not me, That if you show respect for people who are far from God, you're selling out. But that's not what the gospel says. That's not what scripture says. Look at what it says in 2 Timothy. Because here's a New Testament example, an instruction from Paul as to how we're to treat people who are far from God. A servant of the Lord. By the way, anyone who is called upon the Lord. Anybody who calls Jesus your Savior, anybody who says Jesus is my Lord and Savior is a servant of the Lord, whether you're a man or a woman, boy or a girl. And he says this, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be be able to teach and be patient with difficult people, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. Remember what I just said. The enemy isn't the other person in the view that they hold. The enemy is the, the one who holds them and has trapped them. Let's get that straight. We're called to be sensitive. And Daniel's an incredible example of what it means to be diplomatic, what it means to be wise, what it means to be friendly without compromising his beliefs. Here's the third thing that caused Daniel to thrive. He bloomed where he was planted, even in a dark garden. Daniel was very careful about the battles that he chose. He put up with a lot of things. Daniel thrived within his dark culture. And you say, it's impossible. And I'm tired of hearing 
Christians whine about how dark our world has gotten. I get that, but it doesn't do you any good to whine about it. What do you say we decide that we're going to thrive within this dark culture? Because when it gets darker, what happens to your little light? It gets brighter. But don't be, make it like in their eyes bright, right? We've got to be gentle and we've got to be wise. And then there's a number of ways that Christians relate to our culture. It's kind of on a continuum. We have some of those Christians that say, I'm checking out. I'm not going to engage in my society, my world at all. And then there's the other side to say, I'm going to be so enamored and so embedded in my culture that you won't see any difference between me and the culture. And I think that some of us are on somewhere on that scale. Now, I can't tell you where you need to be on that continuum, on that scale. That's really between you and Jesus. But I will say this, that we are all called to interact and influence our world. Every one of us is called to do that. We're, we're, we're all called to do that. Jesus said that we are not to take our light and put it under a bushel basket, but we are to let our light shine before men so they will praise God. What happened when Daniel did that? He had a pagan king praising God. And that's what happens. What do we learn from Daniel? Well, we learned that he'd mastered these dark arts of Babylon, that he was ten times better than anyone in his kingdom, that he was an expert on the occult and astrology, that God helped him to master it, But here's the interesting thing. Because he was an expert, he was able to refute it. He was able to challenge it. He was able to question people about the belief system they held. He was able to show them a better alternative. Uh, And I believe that's what he did. I think King Darius was well aware that Daniel's worldview, his religion, was far different than the Babylonian. He says... Daniel before he places him in that uh, lion's den, may your God whom you serve so faithfully. How did he know that Daniel f- served him so faithfully? Just, it was just who Daniel was. It wasn't a bragging, but he, you know, you know people that love God and they, they're, not, uh, they're not obnoxious about it. They're not in your face about it. But you know that there's something going on in their lives that's different. Their ethics are different. Their language is different. Just the way they carry themselves is different. That was what Daniel did. Now, what I'm suggesting here is instead of boycotting, we should infiltrate. We have a corner on the market of true truth. God's truth is the true truth. There's truth out there, small t, and there's true truth. There's God's truth. And we have the corner on the market. We should be able to speak intelligently to our world and refute their core values. But I find sometimes Christians are characterized by the world as being idiots, ill-informed, uneducated, uh, not very thoughtful. And yet when we, we actually find somebody who has understood maybe a contrary doctrine or contrary to belief and is able to speak very boldly and very accurately and wisely and in a spirit of love to another person and say, here's the problem with this view. They're, they, and they're knowledgeable about it. And they say, here's where it falls down. Here's the issue. Here's what... And you know what? Most people today have rejected Christianity. And he, 
They have never heard the gospel. Here's, here's what I want you to hear. Most people today have never heard the gospel. But when the gospel is clearly heard, it goes right to your heart. It speaks to the deepest hurts and the deepest needs of the human heart. And it will powerfully turn a heart on a dime. And some of you are living examples of that. But people won't even begin to listen to you if you don't respect them. And if they don't respect you. You need to determine what is worth fighting about and what isn't for the gospel's sake. Now, what we're talking about here is we're not telling you, you need to work harder, you need to try harder. That's not what I'm saying tonight. I'm saying, allow Jesus this weekend to capture, to control, and to change your heart. And that's how you empower your light to shine in a dark place. Let me give you three ways that that plays out. Number one. We trust Him with our circumstances and our future. We live our lives knowing that our circumstances are going to go up and down. They're going to change. We're going to get thrown in the lion's den. We're going to be, have these moral and ethical challenges in life. But we need to respond like Daniel. Be, and, 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 and we do that. How do we do that? Why do we do that? Not because we're trying to be like Daniel, but, but we remember what Jesus did. That Jesus gave up his circumstances in heaven and came to earth and was abused and, and, and executed for us, we remember that he's given us everything so we're willing to follow his example because Jesus is the ultimate, Daniel. Number two, we treat people with, with respect and dignity because we understand that we, like they, are sinners. And the only difference between us and them is that we have found the forgiveness, that we have found Him. We have understood the gospel. And so we have to believe that we treat people with dignity and respect. And then number three, we tackle those issues, those challenging worldview issues, those dark issues, tactfully and thoughtfully because we know that God's truth will prevail. But we do it with a spirit of humility and respect because He commands us to. We can't walk around with a chip on our shoulder thinking that we've got all the answers and that we're always right. We have to walk around and we have to say, I am a flawed human being, but I want to approach this person because I feel compelled that they hear the good news, that they hear it maybe for the first time. And so maybe I need to build a, a, re- a rapport with them and respect for them. And I need to respect what their view is. And we need to start a dialogue. But we've got to stop this, this fly-by gospel drop that we do and uh, understand that it may take longer than a four-point or a three-point gospel track. Let me give you one last thought. Don't worry about how dark this world gets. and Don't let it get you down. Just remember this. Your little light shines brighter the darker it gets. Daniel blazed in Babylon. He blazed in Babylon, and we're still talking about it today. Amen? Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for Daniel. Thank you for the way that he has given us some really practical ways to thrive, not just survive, but to thrive in a dark world. And Father, it just seems like our world is getting darker, but that just means that our light is getting brighter. May we influence uh, your the sphere of friends and influence that we have around us with the gospel, so maybe for the first time they hear it. And Father, we just know that you're the one who sets people free. Use us, Father, as your instrument to bring the gospel so that lost people who are far from you find you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.